So this morning, we're starting our new series called Kingdom Parables. And for the next three months, we're going to be looking at Jesus' parables in the Gospels. And what we want to do throughout this series is we want to understand the, the kingdom of God and the good news of God's grace in light of what Jesus himself has to say about it. And this morning, we're going to try to address a, an incredibly common misperception of Christianity because the most dangerous, spiritually destructive misperception of Christianity also happens to be the most common. That Christianity is a counterfeit, moralistic, self-righteous religion. See, when uh, Christianity gets politicized and when it's used to conform people into our image or to try, leverage to control people or, or when Christianity is just reduced as some sort of you know, self-help program, it, it, it is not the gospel of grace. And, and here's the thing. Countless people have accepted a religious distortion of Christianity. And even seasons like this, a political season, I mean, that becomes just terribly obvious. And therefore, since a lot of people have accepted a counterfeit religious distortion of Christianity, so many, because it's so destructive, many people have rejected this religious distortion of Christianity. We must be a church that teaches and preaches and prays against self-righteous religion in our lives and in our church and in our world because it absolutely leads to destruction. we got to get this uh, as a church. And this morning, what I, what I hope that we can do is, is that we can strip away all of the religious baggage so that the gospel can be seen for what it really is. And that's why we're looking at the parable of, of the two builders that we just read. Now... If you know me at all, if you've been hanging out uh, here for any amount of time, you know that this issue is absolutely incredibly concerning to me. But I think that uh, I'm in good company because when you read the Gospels, you see that it is incredibly concerning to Jesus as well. That's why Jesus was constantly and relentlessly contrasting two different things. You know, just look at, look at his parables. We see, we see the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, the, the wheat and the weeds, the sheep and the goats, the two wineskins, the two debtors, the two sons, the two groups of workers, the two paths, the two trees, the two builders, and on and on and on it goes. And the scripture we just read is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, we didn't read the context, but Jesus concludes his sermon with the parable of the two builders. And that's the parable that, that we're going to look at this morning as kind of a jumping off point. Now, the question that that just presents itself to me when I, when I look at all this is, is that why does Jesus keep teaching the same thing over and over and over and over again? Well, the reason is because when Jesus would teach the people, they would take what Jesus said and kind of manipulate it and pour it into their own categories and they really weren't listening to Jesus at all. And you know what? 
we do the exact same thing. We take the words of Jesus and we read it the way that we want to read it. And so, you know, we listen to something that he says, and we're like, sure, Jesus, I, I totally agree with you. You're basically saying, you know, what all religions say and that it's all about love. Or, yeah, Jesus, I agree with you and all the other churches in America. If you smoke, drink, and chew and go with girls that do, you're going to burn in hell. I'm right there with you, Jesus. And Jesus has to keep saying, no, you still don't get it. No one has ever said what I am saying. No one has ever claimed the things that I'm, I am claiming. I do not come into anyone's life just to modify or add to your current you know, philosophy of life. I'm here, Jesus says, to shatter all your foundational assumptions. And I demand, Jesus says, I demand to be the lens through which you look at everything. Do you see how important this is? How critical this is? Now, I know, it's my hope every Sunday that, that we have people here who you don't claim to be a, a follower of Jesus and, and, uh, maybe, and up to this point so far, you've rejected the message of Jesus, but I want to tell you this morning that you need to know you've never heard the message of Jesus. His words have been poured into man-made categories. If not by you, then maybe by some of the Christians that you know. And then maybe others of, of you here, uh, you know, say, well, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know what? What we just read, there will be people on the last day who say the same thing. And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why is that? Because they are looking through a distorted lens of self-righteous religion. Jesus' purpose here in his teaching is nothing less than, than a revolution of, of understanding. I mean, he wants to absolutely obliterate your, your old moralistic lens and give you a new gospel lens. He wants you to listen to him and, and view all of life in a new way. So, as we look at this parable, let's try to answer the question. Uh, if you look in your notes, we're going to answer the question, what do we learn about the two Lenses, And I think that, that we learn, see uh, three basic lessons. And first of all, at first glance, the lives that they build look alike. They look very similar. You look at the houses, they look alike, but everybody knows that they are extremely different, right? Looks can be deceiving. I remember when my kids uh, were little, my son Dakota made my daughter uh, Shay uh, a snack. And he got out the tortillas, the butter, and the cinnamon, and sugar, and he, and, uh, he was being a sweet brother, and he, he heated up the, the, the tortilla, put butter on it, and put uh, uh, like a thick layer of cinnamon and sugar uh, on it for, for his sister, except the cinnamon and sugar was actually sea salt. Rolled it up, gave it to her. She took the biggest bite, and her face turned inside out. <laughs> Dakota claims that he didn't do it on purpose, but I'm not so sure. We'll see. We'll talk. It was not what she thought. It was not what he thought it was. Anyone here been sold a counterfeit? Anybody here sold something that was a fake? How'd that make you feel? Ripped off, right? Jesus wants to make sure that you don't get ripped off. 
So he's constantly contrasting two different ways to build your life that look incredibly similar, but they are incredibly different. And when it comes to Christianity, people buy into counterfeit Christianity all of the time. And so it's constantly getting misrepresented. And so it's constantly getting rejected. See, most people assume that our choice comes down to this. Obeying God's law or disobeying God's law. And that's how we want to read the Sermon on the Mount, right? But how would that be two houses that look alike? It wouldn't be. Why would people be surprised at all when, when they realize that they had chosen the wrong one? See, Jesus doesn't say, here are people who obeys God, obey God's law, and here are people who don't obey God's law. No, what he's saying is, here are people who obey God's law, but I tell you that I want you to obey it like this. And Jesus doesn't say, here are people who pray, and here are people who don't pray. No, Jesus says, here are people who pray, but I tell you to pray like this. He does not say, here are people who give to the poor and people who don't give to the poor. No, Jesus says, here are people who give to the poor, but I tell you that I want you to give like this. See, Jesus is contrasting two different ways that look similar. But you know what? It's not one good and the other bad. They're both good in that both groups are trying to obey God. Both are praying. Both are giving to the poor. Both are going to worship. Both are studying the Bible. Both are trying to obey the Ten Commandments. So Jesus is saying, at first glance, they look alike. But, our second point, when the storm hits, one stands and one crashes. The storm in Jesus' parable represents the, the final judgment. And Jesus says, even though these two ways look alike, their endings are totally different. And what's scary is that people will be surprised. Jesus says in, in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or your translation might say, you evildoers. Here we have religious people in the church. And they're not only obeying God's law and praying and giving to the poor, but they are doing impressive ministry, mighty works in the name of Jesus, right? And Jesus says they're going to be shocked when their house crashes. And what's really scary is it says that many will be shocked on that day. I mean, you can, you can see this near the beginning of the Sermon on, on the Mount. And we talked about this when we were studying the Beatitudes, where in chapter 5, Jesus talks about people who are in the kingdom of heaven and people outside of the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, that anyone who breaks one of these least uh, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So both groups in this verse are in the kingdom of heaven. Some are doing well, some are doing not so well, but both are in the kingdom of heaven. But listen to the next verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and surpasses that of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter 
the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking about these religious people and how they are not in the kingdom of heaven at all. I mean, think about that. Well, here's the point. Jesus is contrasting the lens of self-righteous religion and the gospel. And at first, they look alike, but again, they're totally different. And here's, here's what we need to be on guard against. We absolutely cannot mistake being a follower of Jesus for trying to be good. We can't mistake being a follower of Jesus with obeying the law, going to worship, reading the Bible, and giving to the poor. I mean, you can do all of that and be on the way to destruction. That is what Jesus is saying. But wait, you're kidding, right? I mean, I thought following Jesus meant you you left the immoral lifestyle and followed Jesus' example and obeyed God's law. Isn't that what Christianity is all about? That is involved. Don't misunderstand what I'm, what I'm saying. That is involved. But that is also a very narrow understanding of, of Christianity, and it is not the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And when the storm hits, if that's your view, if that's your view of Christianity, when the storm hits, true Christianity will stand and support you I have seen people who have had their lives ripped away from, I mean, just their whole entire lives flipped upside down. And then I see them just kind of rest in in Christ at the same time. I mean, it's painful. And they weep, but you can tell that they're resting in the knowledge that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that that he loves them. And it's amazing to watch. And I have seen people who are just, you know, devout Christians and they do everything, everything right and, and then their life falls apart and it's like they lose their faith. I mean, they don't even know who they are anymore and they're not even sure God exists at all and they are crushed. One life is built on the rock and one is built on the sand. Hmm. Self-righteous religion will will crash and it will crush you why second point because one is built on the rock and one is on the sand and again these houses look alike on the surface but totally different foundations so let's look at them what is the sand well self-righteous religion says i can do it because you know there are good people and there are bad people and i'm one of the good people and god rewards the good people like me and he punishes the bad people like all those people and and if i live a good life then god will love me and he will reward me and jesus says you are building your house on the sand and it's going to crash Look how his Sermon on the Mount begins. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, only those who say, I have nothing in and of myself to offer to God. I am not good enough to earn my own deliverance and salvation or even maintain good standing before God. I am no better than anyone else. I cannot do it. Only spiritual beggars like that can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I believe um, it's well um, known that so many 
uh, commentators and theologians say that the reason poor in spirit is first is because if you're not poor in spirit, when you start reading the Sermon on the Mount, you will be poor in spirit by the time you finish reading the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because Jesus, if you read it and you take what he says seriously, Jesus raises the bar so high, no one can make it. Check it out. Jesus says, um, you have learned that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone, whoop, there we go. <laughs> I tell you that, that anyone, let me go back to my notes here, who is angry with his brother will be subject to final judgment. And then he goes on to say, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to say, you've heard it was said to love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemies. Now listen, Anything short, if I, if I fall short of that in any way, it is sin that destroys me. I cannot, I cannot water down these commandments. I cannot try to lower the, the bar. I'm sure it just didn't mean that. I'm sure he meant this because I can get over that. Jesus won't let us do that. We can't say, well, I'm sure Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect, right? We looked at this before. What's the very next thing he says? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See, you know what? God does not grade on a curve. An all-holy God deserves and demands perfection. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I have a serious problem with that. If we take it seriously, I think we all will have a serious problem with that. Because as it turns out, we all have a tendency to build our lives on the sand. So where does that leave us? What can we do? Well, he tells us in, in chapter 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. And he says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you know what this means? This means that the goodness that you need to enter the kingdom of God and stand in the storm is a gift of God's grace. Instead of watering down God's commands or simply trying harder or, or just giving up in despair, ask God to give you his perfect goodness. And the gospel then says, when you pray that, it's already answered. God answers your prayer. I'm telling you, this is a pet peeve of mine because I have seen people sit under moralistic preaching and then say, you know what? I can't do all of these awesome biblical principles. I can't do all of this good and, and, and holy law. I cannot maintain a good standing before God. And that's what I'm being taught. If I want to maintain a good standing before God, it's, 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 based on my performance, and I've seen people say it's too difficult, I'm out, and they leave the church completely. And you know what? They haven't really rejected Christianity at all. They think they have. 
but they've rejected the distortion of Christianity. And who is the rock? Of course, it's Jesus, and he is the foundation of Christianity. He is the lens through which true followers of Jesus view all of life. He is the rock upon which we are called to build our life. And the gospel lens says, instead of I can do it, the gospel lens says, I can't do it, but Jesus did. I can't be good enough to gain God's approval, but Jesus has lived a perfect life of goodness for me. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, who is it really describing? There's only one person. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of Jesus. He is the only one who is good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven. He is the only one who was never sinfully angry. He was the only one who never, ever had lust in his heart. He is the only one that perfectly loved his enemies. He is the only one who is perfect, as perfect as his heavenly Father is in heaven. And the gospel then says that Jesus lived that life for you. And that we are clothed in his righteousness. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not just your example. He is not just your example. So much preaching is, look how awesome Jesus is. You should do that too. Let's pray, amen, goodbye, see you next week. I mean, we draw out the implications of the gospel. I mean, if we're growing in Christ's likeness, we'll end up doing the things that Jesus, Jesus did. But, but the thing that transforms us is the gospel. Is focusing on who Jesus is and what he is doing, and it transforms our heart. And then the fruit of that is the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus did not live just to be your example. He lived to be and died to be your substitute. If all you have is Jesus as an example, you are lost. And you're building on sand, and you're going to crash. So that, that, that's not like a, just a, a harsh criticism. It is a loving diagnosis, a loving heads up. And so you know what Jesus does? Here's the cool thing that Jesus does. He switches houses with you. He gives you credit for his perfect life. This is Christianity. Having lived for us, he died for us. He, he took upon all of our sin of, of anger and lust and prejudice and, and self-righteousness, of trying to be our, our, our own Lord and Savior. And he took upon that uh, sin upon himself, and he died our death. And when the storm hit, he was destroyed instead of us. I am telling you, the world is desperate for this message. I'm telling you, the church at large is desperate for this message. And this is how we build on the rock, by trusting in Jesus as our substitute. And so God looks at you and sees you perfectly good in Jesus. And as a result, when the final storm comes, you will be able to stand because it doesn't depend on your goodness. It depends on Jesus' goodness. So as I, as I wrap this up, let me, let, let me apply this. 
maybe you're thinking, you know what, that's interesting. I've never heard it explained like that before. Well, let me encourage you. Don't stop there. Keep wrestling with this. Make it a priority, a top priority to understand the message of of Jesus. Talk with a Christian friend who gets the gospel of grace. Talk to me or one of the elders or anybody else in in this church and, and wrestle with it and pray through it. Others of you might be thinking, you know what, uh, Matt, uh, this, uh, people might misunderstand you. They might think that, you know, you get your get out of hell free card and you can do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. People can kind of hear that and go, this is a stupid message, a dangerous message. It doesn't make sense. You're going to lead people astray. But don't you see? Your distorted religion lens is so precious that you can't hear what Jesus is saying. You can't see what he's saying. Now, we're talking about true Christianity. I urge you to take a fresh look at the message of of Jesus. And for for others of you, well, for all of us, especially me, we all still have kind of a, a remnants of of a distorted religious lens. And as a result, when the storms hit, uh, we either say, I'm mad or I'm bad. We either get mad at God or we get mad ourselves and we kick ourselves to the curb. I do that all the time. But to the extent that you're building your life on the rock, you will say, I'm not mad because I know I deserve far worse. And I know God isn't punishing me because all my sin was punished in Jesus. To the extent that you build your life on the rock, you will be a person of stability, a person of strength, a person of peace, even in the storms of of life. And God calls us to rest on the rock. So Jesus says, I put before you two approaches to life. There are two houses. One built on the rock, one built on the sand. They represent two views of reality. When the storm hits, one stands. The other one falls apart and crashes. And Jesus says to you this morning, which one do you want? And it's yours. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your good news. Good news that, that our relationship with you does not depend on our performance, but on the performance of Jesus. Uh, God, uh, pr- please uh, forgive us for trying to, to earn our good standing with you and maintain our good standing with you um, by our own performance. Help us to realize that it was never good enough, that all our, our good works are as filthy uh, rags in and of ourselves left on our, on our own. We need the righteousness of Jesus. We need the goodness of, of Jesus. And we thank you that when we ask you for it, you graciously give it to us and you receive all of the glory. God, we thank you that, that Jesus not only lived for us and gave us credit for that, he died for us and gave us credit for that too. 
and then rose again to give us new life. And God, help us to live in response to that. Help that truth to sink into our hearts so much that it transforms our hearts, therefore our lives. And then we long as an expression of love to you to live holy lives just out of sheer gratitude and deep affection for you. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here this morning that has not trusted you, that has not built, that does not have a house built upon the rock, that this, this morning would be their morning, where you would give them the courage uh, to trust you, where you would give them the faith to believe in you, that, that you, by your spirit, would compel them to follow you and become one of your, your disciples because they know that a life that is not built on you will crash. God, I pray um, that as a church, we would always be on guard against counterfeit Christianity that leads to destruction and rips us off and leaves us in the dark. God, we are so incredibly grateful for being with us, living among us, indwelling your church. May we be a church led by, by your spirit. And we know that your spirit constantly shines the light on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We pray that as a result, you would transform our lives, that you'd renew our church and our city through the incredibly powerful gospel of grace. We pray this in, in your name.